Hello and welcome to the third episode of our football flashbacks, uh, whatever we want to call it, the decade flashback for the whole city. Um, and I'm joined by Logan. How are you, Logan? Doing well, Alex. Good to be back and uh, nice to take another walk down memory lane and uh, remind ourselves of the, the season that was in, in 2011 and 2012. Yeah, definitely. Um, we haven't had a city fixture this week, so it is a welcome chance to talk talk things city, look back on um, the season that was 2011-2012. Um, when this episode comes out, uh, probably a week after we've recorded it, we'll have done an episode as well where we'll talk about the implications for um, the current season um, with these postponements and that sort of thing. So if you haven't checked that one out yet, um, be sure to do that. Um, but this episode, we're, we're really focusing on um, that first half of the 2011-2012 season, uh, which was the second season back in the championship under Nigel Pearson. Um, and interestingly, uh, you know, there wasn't, I think there's only two two seasons that decade where we began the season in the league that we finished the season in, if that makes sense. So as in we'd spent last season in the championship, we, we spent this season in the championship and we weren't promoted or relegated. Uh, same as I think the season under Nigel Adkins where we stayed in the championship as well later on in the decade. So a bit more stability this time around for us. Um, no um, uh, relegation, no promotion, and it was all about sort of stable, stabilising ourselves in this division. Um, but, Logan, I think we're sort of talking just before we went to air that this was a season that, you know, uh, pre-season results, everything else that went with it, there was a lot of optimism around what we could achieve um, going into that season. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, going back that far, casting our mind back to the, the preseason that you're talking about. Uh, we were actually undefeated. And in that uh, that patch of games, we, we beat the, the likes of uh, none less than Liverpool in a convincing uh, 3-0 fashion, which probably uh, was the highlight of that preseason. I mean, other results, we, we knocked off uh, North Ferriby in the in the start of uh, 4-1. Uh, we, we beat uh, Winterton. We beat Liverpool, as mentioned, and also uh, Bradford uh, and Chesterfield, I think, rounded off our victory. So certainly began that season with a huge um, element of optimism in the in the camp. And I guess uh, the fact that uh, the season before, even though it kind of fizzled towards the end, there was, there was a lot of promise there um, in the fact that we almost did clinch a playoff spot. And so there was no reason to, to start that season uh, with any real negativity, but rather uh, optimism that it could have been a season that, uh, brought much joy for for the city city faithful. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, it's probably a hard fact to research, but I I think I remember hearing at the time that it could have been our first win against Liverpool in any competition. Which uh, obviously, a few seasons later, we went one better and beat them in the Premier League. But um, at the time, I think we, uh, we were saying there was about twenty thousand people in attendance, which for a preseason game is incredible. And um, clearly would have been a really exciting match for a lot of City faithful to be at. Absolutely. And I th the element of that as well that you have to kind of harp on is when we fast forward now and consider the time of what football looks like without fans, mm. uh, really the, the crowd numbers that we've experienced under the, the recent uh, Alam administration, uh, to, to see 21,000 people uh, or no less in, inside the, the KCOM uh, is a huge feat. And to be getting that for a pre-season game in, uh, in the second tier of, of English football is a remarkable achievement. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so normally at the start of these, we'll talk through if we've got a shirt from that season, we'll talk through our sort of memories or, or motivations behind getting that shirt. But um, for a few reasons, uh, mainly the the little white text that I have above the badge on my shirt, I'm going to talk about that in our um, next episode, which will be focusing on the second half of the season. Um, we also normally talk about the sort of the context around the season and, and, and what happened in this half of the season, but we're going to talk about that at the end because it's going to focus mainly on Nigel Pearson and his movements in and around the club. Um, but instead, we'll start with talking about the, the key departures in the off-season going into this season. And um, I guess the main ones to look at in this were um, obviously Craig Fagan, who'd been with the club through a, diff- a few different loan, uh, you know, loan and permanent spells um, from Derby County uh, and was a really great servant of the club in that promotion season and then again in the Premier League. Um, and Matt Duke as well, who, who was uh, one of those players who, uh, he was the understudy to Boaz Myhill. He, he got his chance in the second half of that 09-10 season, I believe, and, and, and sort of um, really proved himself to be quite a competent keeper and, and um and, you know, as a really loyal servant of the club, as most number twos end up being, is that they're sort of quite committed to the club. And uh, he then got his chance in the 2010-2011 uh, season. Um, but then, I guess, whether it was for wages, whether it was just for sort of refreshing the squad or whatsoever, um, he then made his way out of the club as well. Um, and and I think we alluded to in our last episode, one of the bits of magic from the, from the Allens, one of the few sort of positive... Uh, elements that we can sort of attribute with them is um, managing to find a way to tear up Nick, uh, to tear up Jimmy Bullard's contract and um, and get him out of the club and get his wages off the books. So I guess they were sort of the three key headlining departures of the club in that off season. Yeah, the, the Jimmy Bullard contract I think is still something that haunts many City fans and uh, just seems like probably the most mindless piece of business that was was ever made. Uh, granted, Jimmy Bullard was an incredible footballer when fit. Uh, I think that it's, it's worth noting that. And he had some promising uh, patches at, at Fulham and, um, and, and was just really a, a player who I think at the time we signed him, it was almost an element of disbelief to, to see a player of his calibre, uh, particularly when we found out that he was sticking around in, in the championship. So, mm. uh, look, I, I, whilst there's some, some horrible memories attached to that, I still think it was a, it's a huge feat to, to be able to get you know, Jimmy Bullard to, to put pen to paper. Um, and it's just a shame that, that that contract didn't work out. And obviously I think it dragged on far too much uh, and really financially was a huge hit for uh, for City. And probably if we were to look at this thing outside of just the, the isolated two seasons of a lot of uh, kind of inconsistent results, um, with wages like that on the books, it really probably highlights why uh, they weren't necessarily uh, hugely invested in uh, uh, transfer windows where we weren't able to add uh, too much more yeah. uh, promising talent to the club because we were simply still uh, in that hangover phase from the from the Premier League. Um, Craig Fagan was a, a fantastic steward for the club, as, as you mentioned, and still remains uh, kind of active on Twitter as well. I know that he s- still seems very connected to uh, City. and has, Does he have a role with the Youth Academy, I think? He may have. I'll just have a look because I know he was with I know he was at South End uh, semi recently, but I thought perhaps he also had a had a um, role with our academy. Now I'll just have to have a look at that while you keep talking. Also, also scored an incredibly important goal for us in one of the seasons. I believe it may have been against Bolton, um, and was just one of those workhorse players that really uh, 
proved himself. Like you knew, uh, whilst he wasn't necessarily clinical or, um, you know, uh, I guess in that upper echelon of, of, of strikers, he just gave, um, as, as you've mentioned, the affinity that a lot of City fans have with those workhorses. He was a player that certainly fit that mould and uh, was, a, was a fine steward to the club, as I mentioned. The other thing that I, I still remember Matt Duke from, which is um, kind of surprising, was I think it was perhaps a, a FA Cup run with uh, with Bradford. Um, yes. Maybe a yeah. couple of seasons after he left us uh, and pot- potentially a League Two side at the time. Yeah. And I remember uh, they may have beat Aston Villa or somebody big. but they And, and they beat Wigan or someone in, on penalties or someone like that, I think. Yeah, and, and I remember watching that game with um, with huge interest and just being incredibly uh, happy and delighted for for Matt Duke, given the fact that as you mentioned another fine steward of the club and and, and a great player uh, when given his chance. So uh, it's, it, it seems odd that my my favourite memory of Matt Duke didn't come in a City jersey, but um, <laughs> yeah. Well, he, and he went through a few really tough times with City because I believe he actually suffered from testicular cancer or something like that during one of his earlier years at the club. So pretty remarkable that not only he was able to overcome that, but that he was able to get back out on the park and, and continue his career. So, um, you know, yeah, fantastic for him to be able to continue playing through that. And then, and then as you say, be you know, a great player, not only for us, but then also for, for other clubs after leaving City. Um, and actually with Fagan, I've, I've got it back to front. He was he was with our City Academy in uh, 2018, but then he left in 2019. So he's now the under-23s coach at Southend. So, um, yeah, so he, he, he did have a coaching connection with us for a little while um, and then, yeah, still seems to be quite active on social media uh, following our results, which is great to see. Yeah, absolutely. Fine, fine player and, uh, yeah, fine, fine steward. Really enjoyed watching. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, it was it was also an interesting off season, I guess, because you know, and you sort of alluded to, alluded to it with the, um, I guess, the Bullard finances. That um, it, it almost seemed as if the Alums had set us up quite well the previous January with you know incomings like Fry and Chester and McLean and a few others, and you know we'd had Jack Hobbs on loan from Leicester, and, and we made that into a permanent move over the summer, but. It wasn't a really prolific summer, which was, I guess, in some ways a really good sign that we'd sort of formed these, this nucleus of a really promising squad and we were starting to see the fruits of those labours and, and we weren't going out and making big signings and upsetting the, the squad, but really we were just sort of supplementing it. Um, and so, so that summer, I guess, the main signings that we saw coming in on permanent deals were, as, you know, as mentioned, Jack Hobbs, but then also Joe Dudgeon at left-back and Corey Evans in midfield, um, who, you know, Corey Evans... Um, was a really great player for us for that season and the next under Steve Bruce. And um, him along with Tom Kearney, I, I feel really sort of, um, you know, a, a decent amount of regret and also with Joe Dudgeon that they didn't get a good crack of it in the Premier League that following season because, you know, for whatever reason, I guess Bruce sort of ran his rule over them and, and Corey Evans wasn't deemed up to it. Um, I think Kearney was especially unlucky because he suffered an injury. But, uh, and then same with John, Joe Dudgeon sort of in and out of the side with injuries. But, you know, all three on their day, very, very promising players for City. And, you know, I guess as saying that as well, Jack Hobbs as well didn't get a go in the Premier League. So really, you know, these three guys kind of came in, had a, had a, an 18-month, I guess, stint with City, um, but were all very memorable signings and, and, and played quite well for us. Yeah, and absolutely, as you mentioned, I remember Joe Dudgeon having an incredible amount of promise and was uh, came with huge accolades except for the fact that he did have a horrible run of injuries um, mm. in the time. I, I still remember when uh, Steve Bruce came in, he was uh, very um, very positive in his assessment of Joe Dudgeon as well and really wanted to give him the time and 
you know, obviously let him flourish. But as, as you said, for whatever reason and, and for a very hindered uh, injury run, uh, he was prevented from doing so. I think, um, as you mentioned, Corey Evans was a, a fine player and uh, really um, on his day probably w- was one of the, the marquee uh, midfielders in the championship. Um, was a, was a great um, great passer of the ball and I still always remember the goal that he scored against Leeds. Uh, I think yeah. it might have been the season after or perhaps where we beat them 2-0. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that was under Bruce, yeah. But, uh, yeah, fantastic player. And, and Jack Hobbs as well. Um, uh, Jack Hobbs was a, a, one of those kind of no-nonsense uh, essential defenders that we, we had a real habit of, of, of finding those um, those players when you think about the likes of, of Chester and Davies and uh, just the, the, the players that have come into the club in, in recent times. Um, it has been, a, a, I guess, a position that has been um, one that we've had a, a lot of success with. And, and Jack Hobbs certainly... Um, holds up in that bracket is, is one of those really positive signings to to play central defence for us. Yeah, I mean, look, he was fantastic for us. And I remember when um, I think we then loaned him out to Nottingham Forest after we got promoted and, and thinking that was a really strange decision. And then we brought in Curtis Davies and sort of the rest was, the rest is history in the sense that, you know, Davies just came on, you know, stepped into the team seamlessly. Um, you know, I, I guess in hindsight, whether you would have maybe thought of keeping Hobbs on as um, backup, I'm not sure. Um, it, it was it was sort of I guess a pretty sort of cutthroat move and, and one of those moves that I guess sometimes you need to make to make that step up. Um, interestingly, I, d- I just had a look. You know, Corey Evans moved from us to Blackburn and he's still at Blackburn, so he's made almost two hundred appearances for them. So it's sort of a, a testament to his his quality, I guess, that he's he's really sort of excelled in that side and and really found a place in that side because you know being there since twenty thirteen, having a seven year stint at the same club um, is a pretty impressive one. So. Um, look, that's really great to see for him as well. Um, you know, other other signings that we brought in over that offseason, I mean, we brought in Deli Adebola, who didn't make a huge impact, I'd say. We we seem to have this trend. It almost it started from that season or maybe even a few seasons before that where we seem to bring in this sort of um, obscure striker each season who you sort of look at and you think, oh, you know, they, they might do okay, but they'd never really end up hitting the ground running. I mean, I think he'd come from Bristol City where I, I think he'd actually been relatively decent but just couldn't get it to happen with us i also remember delia abdullah if i'm pronouncing that correctly i I remember he also was uh was quite uh getting on in age when when he was signed as well he was one of the older signings and i I don't think he had a a great goal return he was more uh seen as one of those kind of hold up strikers that it's almost like um, a hesky you know that's that's right poor man's hesky and uh for for him to kind of come into the mold and uh deliver almost exactly what uh you would predict uh, (laughs) i guess uh, every every team on earth has a has a striker or a, a twenty goal striker at the top of their their shopping list at the beginning of each season. But uh, sadly for us, in the 2011-12 season, uh, Delhi was not that man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the the other really interesting one was um, you know we we kind of continued our um, goalkeeper merry-go-round with bringing in first um, Adrian Basso. I think was signed on a free contract, but then um, Peter Galashki came in from on loan from Liverpool and looked really average with us. I mean, I think he had a couple of okay games, but on the whole was not particularly impressive. Um, and I just find it remarkable that, you know, he's essentially, he's gone from being, you know, a pr- relatively unimpressive championship lone keeper to now, or at least what he was until recently, uh, the the Red Bull Leipzig keeper playing Champions League football for them and, and looking really impressive. So it's quite a career path for him. 
Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the joys now is as we go back and do these walk down memory lane uh, seasons to see some of the, the players that were in the city ranks and how they've kicked on. I mean, we look at Harry Maguire, we look at Andy Robertson and, and yeah, as you mentioned with uh, Will Ashley to, to see where he's moved on to. Um, it's it's fantastic that we've kind of been a, a breeding ground for for elite players and in you know well regarded in the in the top kind of levels of world football. So you know, fair play to him, and it would have been nice to to see that same uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you go back and look at this season and, and see the the amount of games that we did leak uh, multiple goals. But yeah, well well done. It's, you know, to, yeah. to see where he's got to um, to credit to him. And look, it's probably a similar vibe to we'll talk about Eldon Yakupovic in the following season. Bruce signed him on a free contract, and and he sort of had a pretty, um, you know, innocuous debut or a pretty um, inglorious debut, and then and then obviously went on to much better things with City. Um, another one that we'll talk about in the second half of this season is um, Josh King, who we got in for, on loan, sort of continuing our Manchester United conveyor belt of uh, loan signings. Uh, who obviously then went on to a really great career so far in, in the Premier League with Bournemouth. I think he's back in the Championship with them now, but I'm sure a Premier League move either with Bournemouth or with another club isn't isn't too far off. Um, but for this half of the season, one one player we brought in on loan was uh, Robbie Brady, who um, I think, uh, if, if, if memory serves me, I think was initially brought in as a left-back, not actually as a left-winger. And I think it was sort of Bruce who first played him as a left-wing-back and then further up the field that sort of transformed him but I think if I'm not misremembering I think he was brought in as a left back he was he was brought in as a left back but uh, as you said always had the attributes of, of someone that could play higher up the pitch and if you remember not that this is uh, necessarily attached to this uh, season it was uh, Steve Bruce called uh, Sir Alex before the the uh, game against Cardiff that we had to win to for our promotion um, in the draw, and, and he asked, you know, how would how would you think about uh, Robbie Brady playing up front? Could he handle it? Would it be a good decision? And and uh, Sir Alex Ferguson gave him the nod and said, absolutely, it's a, it's a great decision. So I guess that you know speaks into the testament of of the attributes that Robbie Brady did have, um, just an incredible workhorse and looked really comfortable with the ball at his feet. You know, could skim past defenders and um, you know had a had a great uh, left foot as well. Um, and and again, he's still playing for for Burnley um, in the top yep. flight. You know, to this yeah, day, yeah, came on for them this morning, I believe, against Leeds. Um, and and he scored three and thirty nine for us that season. So if he was playing predominantly left back, that's a, a pretty impressive return. And, and you're right, I do remember he did. He certainly played quite a few games um, up forward for us um, over a few seasons. So very very flexible player and um, a very important one for us as well. Um, We'll, we'll now move on to um, the games from that first half of the season and um, we'll talk about Pearson specifically in a second, but one thing that obviously catches the eye when looking back at the results in that first half is that there's an awful lot of 1-0 wins or 1-0 results in, in that first half of the season. And I remember when Pearson first came in, he sort of talked about building a defence first and foremost and then sort of going on and, and building the attack in, in the side. And he certainly proved that he built a very solid defence with City um, in that season. And, and I think probably part of the reason that he did end up making that move back to Leicester was there was a lot of unhappy mumblings from City supporters about the, the style of football, the dour football of, of you know, the one nil sort of results. Um, so how, how, what are your memories of that that first half of that season? Yeah, I, 
I, I remember this season significantly uh, with the the man on screen with with Robert Corrin. This, uh, I think, for Christmas that year, I got a shirt that uh, was from the from the Tiger Leisure store, which was "Keep Calm and Pass It to Corrin." Um, and <laughs> like the kind of theme that kept appearing was uh, it was just. Uh, you know, very frequently popping up and, and scoring these late goals for us, and as a as a testament to to the results that we got, it was um, largely because of him and, and also Matty Fried. I think he had a, a huge season um, goal scoring as well. I think he ended up yeah. scoring uh, the season again for us, which was the same as the the previous season. But um, Robert Corrin's performances that year, he was just a um, you know a, a real significant part of of the success that kind of kept us again in in a playoff push and. Of course, um, you know him. Uh, Nigel Pearson uh, were taking the reins of of, of City that year. He was uh, he was kind of a stop start manager. It was like you said, the brand of football wasn't exactly as exciting as we would potentially have hoped. But I mean, sitting from from this point and looking back, uh, many people were critical of Steve Bruce in the same uh, manner with the fact that we weren't going out yeah. and blocking games off the park, and it was so much of the the one nil. Uh, kind of victories if if victories otherwise you know one all draws and uh, I, th- I think that what we've learned uh, as being part of the kind of football football league ride over the last decade is those one nil victories even though they might not always be the the most pretty to watch they are the the games that get you promoted um and to have a manager that can instill that kind of defensive resolve um even if you're not watching, you know, fantastic football and great build-up play and well-worked goals, if you're able to get those results on the board and collect points, um, you know, that's ultimately the thing that that gets you into um, a position to, to go up. And so for for all of the criticisms that many people did have of Nigel Pearson, um, you know, those late winners and those kind of uh, gritty results that we were getting, it obviously put us in the conversation, uh, at least up until Christmas anyway. Yeah, certainly, and, and and I mean, look, he you know he left after the loss to West Ham, I believe, which was we you know the loss to West Ham put us into eighth. But before that point, we'd spent four of the five um, previous game weeks in the in the playoffs in 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 sixth place. So as you say, quite rightly, it's those sorts of grinding one nil results that yes, they're not necessarily pretty, but that's what you need to do to get promoted is just to grind out those wins and. Um, you know, you, you you can approach things two ways. You can be the leads who sort of blow teams off the park and and occasionally get completely thrashed. And and yes, if you've got the personnel to do that, then that can be the way you go about it. But for other sides, it's about putting together the results and grinding through the games. Um, you know, you sort of talk about you know keep calm and pass it to Corin. Probably the most entertaining game of that first half of the season, and probably the one I remember the most clearly, uh, was actually a three-two win over Watford, which kind of um, you know, in a, in a season or a first half of a season of one nils and, and one ones and nil nils to have a 3-2 win against Watford where Corrin bagged the winner in the 94th minute um, was a pretty remarkable game. And, and, and I remember it because I think uh, we'd gone down one nil to Watford through a, a Chester own goal. And it was sort of um, back then it was sort of, you know, if we, if we considered a goal, yeah, we're pretty unlikely to win the game. We just weren't scoring a whole heap of goals at that point. Um, so I think Corrin, then, oh, sorry, then uh, Fried actually equalised just after half time, which sort of got us going. And it was we sort of traded goals because I think Watford then scored again to go up two one. And, and you got the sense then that okay, yes, we've come back into the game, but but that's probably it. Um, but then McLean with a pretty rare goal got one in the 66th to get us level again. And and then 
um, yeah, in the last minute, Corin got the uh, got the winner in the ninety fourth minute, and um, you know we were on the um, the Wise Guys Say episode the other day talking about how back then, you know, you didn't have iFollow, you didn't have I didn't I don't think I even had Twitter, you know, Twitter was sort of just just developing, I guess. I I just followed results on um, BBC. They had on the BBC website you had the flash version of the scoreboard, so you get sort of live updates of the scores, uh, and that was I just had that open on my laptop, and so you sort of looking at the score it's 2-2 it's 2-2 and the, the clock's running down and, and you have no sense of what's going on and whether there are a chance of getting the winner and then it just pops up with with Corin getting the winner and you know seeing the highlights afterwards and and the, the quality of the goal as well um it was certainly a great one to win yeah, absolutely they were very dark times I, I can remember uh on a on a different note was the exact same thing refreshing my uh, browser and uh, the, the goal, uh, game that we beat Fulham with the Minucho goal. I think yep. when we talk about rare goals, uh, nothing is, is more rare than the Minucho goal, yeah, in the, in the 94th. But um, yeah, they, they were incredibly dark times, and I guess that um, perhaps we're unqualified to comment on some of those um, one nil boring results is because you know we weren't privy to, to being able to actually watch it uh, live, uh, but rather listen to it or, as you said, check the live feed. So um, but I, I do remember that result, um, and I remember that result clearly as well as the, um, of course, the the rivalry game against Leicester, where where Corin popped up again later in the season. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, yeah, no, the, that that and that was a great one as well. It's it's going to be, um, you know, um, I, I guess there's, there's quite a lot to talk about in the second half of this season because, as you say, there's sort of that that spice that was then added, and sort of out of nowhere, this rivalry with Leicester just popped up. Because um, I guess we'll we'll move on, and, and that's a good segue into talking about Nigel Pearson and and all that went around him that season, um, where you know we got the chance of you know he was only on loan and all that sort of thing, where. Um, it's one of those rare instances where I, I really do feel for for the yeah uh, I mean I guess the alums didn't appoint Pearson but we had we had approached Pearson when we were relegated the um, the Leicester owners had given us permission to talk to him and I think that sort of put him offside with them and he was quite happy to come and sign for us and he you know as we're saying he built quite a promising side we were we were pretty much on the cusp of the playoffs um, and so for him to then you know. The Leicester owners then approached the Alums to talk to, to Pearson and, and they said no. And then Pearson essentially forced the move through to go back to Leicester. And you sort of think for 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 a manager who was sort of shown no loyalty at the previous club to then show no loyalty to the club to the club that's now standing by him was incredibly frustrating. And you have to wonder if, you know, knowing what we do now about the Alums, whether he sort of caught whiff of any sort of potential issues between him and them, maybe in terms of transfer funds, whether it was in terms of how the club was being run, I'm not sure. Um, but at the time, it was a really sort of devastating blow to, to what was turning into quite a promising season. Absolutely. I think you've touched on some really big points there and, and hypotheticals. Uh, you know, we, we sit here, we can probably come up with some uh, pretty illustrious conspiracy theories as to how things were being run at the club, but obviously Nigel Pearson saw something in in whatever package or whatever um, you know contract negotiations that were going on with Leicester for as you as you said for him to leave a club that certainly appeared on the up at that point of the season as well, and he had really built the squad that that he kind of wanted. So for him to be entering into negotiations, and I guess the fact that it was uh, was was not kept a secret at all. Uh, I remember watching many of the press conferences um, and and pre match uh, kind of um, re- Wendy, yeah. 
with him and the previous and people would ask him the reporters would ask him point blank and he said i'm here you know this is my club uh, you know i don't ask you about your job and uh it become really apparent that there was a real edginess to to how he answered those questions which kind of did nothing to to squash any of the the rumors that were happening and um inevitably uh you know there was there was a lot to that story and as you said in in some ways it was a shock that he did move on uh, so abruptly but at the same time, uh, the whisperings lasted for for a long time. That, that there was an element of uh, resignation, I guess, from City fans that uh, that he was going to go eventually. And um, you know, knowing knowing what we do now, that's obviously how it panned out. Yeah, look, I mean, they were in probably about thirteenth or fourteenth spot when they sacked their manager and brought him back in. But yeah, you know, and I remember the the press conferences as well, just as clearly as you, where. Um, it was, I think, after that West Ham game where his tone or his answers sort of shifted and, and there was that real sense that, okay, he's actually going to leave now because, as you say, he'd been sort of standoffish before then, but um, something sort of shifted. And, um, you know, look, I think, you know, it's an, in- an interesting one because obviously he then took Leicester back to the Premier League and we went back a season before that with, with Bruce. So, um, you know, in hindsight, I think it sort of smooths it all over, but, you know, as we sort of alluded to before, it, it created this huge animosity and rivalry between the two clubs for the remainder of that season. And, you know, we had the Alums refusing to deal with um, with Leicester's owners. I remember specifically and famously over Cameron Stewart and the fact that Pearson wanted to take Stewart back to Leicester with him uh, and I think offered a million pounds and they sort of said, oh, that would get him his right foot or something like that. Um And I'm sort of a little bit surprised that guys like Matty Fried and Jack Hobbs actually stuck with us when quite naturally you would have assumed they might as well, you know, because Fried only really came across from Leicester to follow Pearson. Um, But then he he, he stayed with us, which was which was great to see from a from a uh, city perspective. But um, in in a lot of ways, quite surprising that those players remained loyal to us rather than the manager that had brought them in. You know, you sort of look at someone like an El Mahamedy who who followed Steve Bruce around to a few different clubs over his career. So, um, you know, it's quite natural sometimes that managers have those favourite players. But um, yeah, yeah, and, and you know, we'll talk about in the next episode. Um, obviously, the, the the clash with Leicester when um, Nick Barmby took the reins, but um, it, it made it a very very interesting second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably the, I guess, the hallmark moment or the thing that, you know, summarises the the deep memories for City fans. Uh, you know, when I was asked to reflect on this season, it was straight away the moment that my attention was kind of drawn to. And then obviously for, for Nigel Pearson too, we know what uh, his appointment at Leicester meant for them too. And the the heights that they started to kind of um, climb once once he, he, he went across um, it was a change in fortune for a club who were very much equal pegging with us uh, for a long time. I think that we had some some really good um, battles with Leicester uh, anyway. And it was certainly a club that I, I never got the kind of um, feeling that they were a bigger club than than City or, or anything along those lines. And, um, you know, for, for the fact that he went back to Leicester and then was able to, you know, taste Premier League success and, and kept them up famously as well, um, you know, fair play to him. Um, sometimes it's just a case of, you know, better the devil you know. And maybe there yeah. were things about Leicester Football Club that, that really resonated with Nigel Pearson, um, although I believe he was discarded in quite an unfortunate way yeah. a little bit later anyway. So I, I yeah. guess for those for those City fans out there that still do like to hold the grudge, that might have been the, uh, a moment of satisfaction uh, for yeah. them. 
Um, yeah, look, that's a great point. I mean, the karma train on on Nigel Pearson. I guess thinking about it, his next two English jobs, Leicester and Watford, both very sort of um, uh, you know dismissive sort of sackings in off seasons where you would have thought that you know he'd just kept, but in both cases, really he'd kept them up in the Premier League. Oh well, actually no, sorry, had Watford just no Watford had just been relegated, hadn't they? Um, I think when he was sacked, but but regardless, uh, I think he'd only been there for a couple of maybe a month or two, um, to be sacked was uh, quite shocking. And I guess a, another side note as well is that it was a really interesting uh, personality kind of uh, trait with Nigel Pearce, and he seemed very uh, very abrupt and um, in, in, in some ways very short and kind of bossy. There wasn't a, a real uh, personal personable element to a lot of his conferences. He wasn't necessarily the most charismatic or engaging manager too. So, you know, perhaps someone like Nigel Pearson is not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, but he certainly, you know, could could do a job. And is, uh, if you reflect on him as a football manager now, he's, he's more than capable. Yes, I think that's the key as well. As I think I've I've seen a few comparisons recently between Grant McCann and Nigel Pearson, and the fact that both can be quite standoffish in the media and quite prickly. Uh, but I think the distinction is that Pearson actually seems to know what he's doing, and therefore is sort of justified in, you know, keeping his cards close to his chest. Whereas I don't think McCann has the runs on the board to to be able to do that. Yeah, that's a, probably a fair comment. And uh, <laughs> I guess the jury is, is still out on Grant McCann, um, you yeah. know, in the sense that it, the fact he's still there, even though many people thought he would he would be gone, and you know where we sit on the on the ladder at the moment. What what kind of uh, you know legacy, I guess, will Grant McCann uh, leave with City fans when whenever he does uh, does part will be very interesting. Uh, if we, you know, if we do a review in five years' time, yes, absolutely, be very interesting indeed. Okay, well, I think that's just about it for this first half of the season. Um, we'll probably in a couple of weeks' time or a week's time, um, you know, we're sort of in our holiday period at the moment. We might try and get the uh, second half of the season out because I suspect there's a fair bit to talk about in that half of the season as well. Um, but yeah, so this episode will be going to air on YouTube for everyone uh, and audio for everyone. Um, a week after recording it. If you're a Patreon of ours, you will be getting it um, pretty much as we've just recorded it. Um, so I do encourage everyone, if they can, you know, it's the new year. Hopefully everyone's pockets aren't hurting too much from Christmas, but maybe if there's a chance for you to be able to uh, to become a Patreon of ours uh, for £3 a month, it would certainly go a long way for us uh, and mean a lot. So that would be greatly appreciated. But um, otherwise, you know, if you click the bell on our YouTube channel, you'll get notifications whenever we're about to do a live episode or about to drop um, an episode such as this. Um, but otherwise, like, share, comment. You know, what, what what were your memories of this half of the season? When you know, we'll we'll put a poll up as we always do, um, probably next week when this episode goes out to the public. We'll probably say, you know, coming into this season, where were you expecting City to finish? Um, given the, the optimism in that off season, the way the squad had been built. Um, it was certainly an interesting season um, in that decade to, to look back on. So thank you for looking back on it with me, Logan. My pleasure, Alex. It was a joy. No problem. And, and thank you, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back, cause you're out.